Well, earlier this week, um, as I was at the beach in Galveston preparing for the sermon while not on the beach, but (laughs) thinking about it, I was thinking about the sermon being about prayer and wondering, what do kids pray for? I know what my kids pray for, and I don't want to call them out, so I decided to search online, what what do other kids pray for? Uh, And I found a few wonderful, wonderful sites where parents submitted the best of the best of kids' prayers. And so let me, let me read a, a few of these to you. Um, the, this first one says, Dear God, my mom tells me that you have a reason for everything on earth. I guess broccoli is one of your mysteries. <laughs> We've all felt that. <laughs> he works in mysterious ways, including broccoli. Um, the second one, Dear God, I hope my dog is with you in heaven. Please take care of him. Sorry if he chews on your sandals, <laughs> which I love. I just love. It's so good because I think some of us need to hear that. Maybe losing an animal and just saying, oh, maybe they're in heaven chewing on God's sandals. That's beautiful. Um, the third one, dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy, <laughs> which I also love because I wonder if there was a follow-up prayer like, so <laughs> make the exchange happen. Um, and then this last one, dear God, are you actually invisible, or is that just a trick? <laughs> uh, I love kids because there's just such honesty with, with, with children most of the times. Uh, but I feel like sometimes they are more honest than we are. I mean, just that phrase, that, like, is this real or is this just a trick? And I think many times when we think about prayer, we wonder, does it, does it work? Is it real or is this just a trick? Like, am I praying, does my prayers actually do anything, or am I just praying to a brick wall? I mean, how many of you feel like you have a, a pretty good prayer life? I've got one or a couple, too. Um, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty on, on average, where the church is at. There's been a study that's done for, surveyed over 14,000 Christians, and of the 14,000 Christians, only 2%, only 2% said they are happy with their prayer life. Two. Two. And, and yet, we are told that prayer can move mountains. So why don't we pray? Today, we're going to be looking at what's many times referred to as the, the high priestly prayer from Jesus, because the great high priest, Jesus, brings us back into the inner sanctum as, as he converses with his father, and we get a front row seat of that. And so today in John 17, we are, we are going to be taught how to look up. That's the name of my sermon, how to look up. And really, it's going to teach us about how to pray. And so today, if you struggle with prayer, like 98% of Christians do, this sermon is for you. And here's what we're going to learn. We're going to learn what it is, why we do it, and how to do it. What it is, why we do it, and how to do it. And so what it is, if you've been a Christian for a very long time, maybe you've heard of the phrase of the Lord's Prayer. Malcolm referred to it earlier, that it begins, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I love the, old, the, the King James on that prayer in particular, um, which is what Jesus taught his disciples to pray, right? And, and it's, it's this beautiful prayer, but it's not actually the Lord's Prayer, right? Because Jesus himself doesn't need to confess any sin. He's just trying to teach his disciples and us, by proxy, 
a, a general framework of how to pray, a very beautiful prayer here. And so instead, it's just teaching us that. But here in John 17, we actually get the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in all of the Gospels, where Jesus is actually talking to his Father. And you can actually learn a lot about someone by the, what they are praying about. And so we're learning a lot about Jesus and it's this, this longest recorded prayer, which is why we're breaking it up into three sermons. You're welcome. Um, and so <laughs> this is what I would actually call the Lord's Prayer, because it really is the Lord's Prayer. And so let's look at it. Verse 1, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Now, some explanation is in order. Uh, whenever Jesus is talking about the hour or when he talks about his time that's coming, what he is referring to is his impending death. The hour has come. The time has come for him to go to die. And so when he's, Jesus is praying, glorify your son, what he's not praying is, Lord, glorify me and and. Make me a, an Instagram social media influencer so that when I do have my 100,000 followers, I, I'll give you mad props, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. That's, <laughs> that's not, uh, surprise, <laughs> that's not what Jesus is praying when he says, glorify me. He's saying, send me to my death is what Jesus is praying in this moment. Glorify your son, send me to my death, which for many of us feels like a very odd prayer for maybe two reasons. The first one, why would you be asking to be sent to your death? But two, and we think about this, this I think really important here, aren't you already going to be sent to your death whether you prayed that or not, Jesus? Like, doesn't he already know that this is the reason he came for earth, that him and the Father came together and said, this is our rescue plan. So why is he praying for God to do something that he's, is going to happen anyways? And, and to me, this is the crux of the issue of why we don't pray. Why we don't pray is right here. When, when do you pray? Anyone, when do you pray? When things are hard. When you are worried about something, right? When you are not sure about the future. Just some of these prayers we had up here about what we're, we're concerned about that's going on in the world, right? And so that's usually when we pray. Now, there's, there's this great scene from a TV show that I don't recommend, but I'm going to recommend the movie somewhat. Uh, it's called The Simpsons. Um, old, old movie. I decided not to show a video clip since that's not worked so great in the past. Um, and so <laughs> there's this great scene from the, the Simpsons movie where the world's about to end. There's this this uh, comet coming down to earth and this impending doom and the whole earth is now starting to realize this and what happens is everyone in the bar gets out and they run to the church because that's when we pray that's when we go to God when things are scary when we are worried in fear now it's the Simpsons and so no one's off the hook and I love it humorously as everyone in the bar goes out to the church everyone in the church then goes out and goes to the bar uh, <laughs> which is just a little too on the nose for, for Christians but that's there it is um, but that's usually what happens when we pray we, we, we pray when things are in doubt I mean think about the hardest times in your life do you ever notice afterwards how you said I've 
I never felt closer to the Lord than during that time. Why is that? Because you went to the Lord more than you ever needed to. You and the Lord were, were you were with the Lord lock and step the whole time. Like personally, I remember when, when our, our oldest son, Knox, was just the size of a peanut uh, inside his, his mama's tummy. We got, some, we got some news that was very, very scary, that he m- most likely, is what the doctor told us, will not make it. And I just remember for the next three days, just in tears, morning, day, and night, praying to the Lord, save him, deliver him. I mean, I was praying with Kristen, I was praying with friends, I was praying, the whole church was praying for Knox, and just, Lord, may it not be so. And I, I never, ever want to go back to that moment in our life, because it was just so frightening. But afterwards, I started to miss the connection I had with God. Because in that time, I was talking to the Lord all day, every day. And I wonder, why don't I have that connection all the time? Do you guys feel like this? That we have that connection because we're so worried about something and we need the Lord to intervene. But the minute He does, we step away. This is because we pray when something is in doubt. And weirdly, weirdly, Jesus knows he's going to his death. This this, this impending death is about to happen. This is why he came to the earth. And why does Jesus pray when he knows what's about to happen? I mean, this is the reason he came. It's so wild that Jesus is moved to pray more at the exact moment that we're moved to pray less. Isn't that wild? And I think it all comes down to what we think prayer is versus what Jesus thinks prayer is. And Tim Keller says it this way. He says, we see prayer as medicine. He sees it as food. And I, <laughs> I love that. Because I feel like that's, that's the picture of my own prayer life. That we see, it, we go to God when there's pain, just like if I needed to go to a doctor because there was pain. Like, I go for medicine. Why would you go otherwise? It almost seems weird to go otherwise. If I was just hanging out at the medical clinic after a fully healed, they would say, sir, you need to leave, right? (laughs) It would be kind of odd because that's why you go there. And that's how we see God. Like, what else am I going to say? He already gave me what I asked for, or maybe he didn't, and I decided to go to a new doctor, right? (laughs) But here, Jesus prays that he would align his will with the Father's will not the other way around. He says, glorify your son so that I may glorify you. We stop at that first part. Just glorify me. Just, just, just give me what I need. Like, what, we try to get God to align his will with ours instead of aligning our will with God's will and trying to go with where he's leading us. Now, let me just say this. It's not bad to ask God for things. That's, that happens all throughout Scripture. You can think of the Psalms, you know, deliver me, O Lord, right? That's not bad at all. But what we're trying to say is, if that's all our prayer life is, if that's all it is, then no wonder we don't pray. Because if we don't have a need, then we don't come to Him. We treat God like the cosmic vending machine. Oh, I'll take F9, <laughs> right? We think that's, that's our relationship with God. And so what is prayer? It's not medicine. It's an intimate relationship and friendship with our Creator. 
That's what prayer is. And so second, why do we do it? Why do we do it? Verse 2 and 3. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so why do we pray? Because prayer is, in prayer, we are filled with life eternal. Why do we go in prayer? Because in prayer, we get filled with life eternal. We get filled with that. Now, before we go into that, I want to, that's the main point. But before we go to that, we've got a little bunny trail that I think is important for us. In, in verse 2 here, he says, God has granted Jesus authority. Now, that word for authority that's right there is the Greek word excusia. And that's the, the healthy form of authority in a healthy way. Now, if you remember back in May when we preached uh, on women in leadership, we, had, we looked at 1 Timothy 2, 12, when Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. And had Paul used that word excusia right then, I think we would have a good conversation that would align with what the church history has done. <laughs> However, Paul doesn't use excusia. He uses a different word. He uses authentane, which is a form of domineering authority, of abusive authority, of barking at, at one another. And so he's saying... He's not permit, uh, dismissing women from leadership in this passage. He's trying to say we need healthy leadership, right? And so this word of a healthy leadership, healthy authority, excusia, is what has been given to Jesus. And what does he do with that authority? Jesus gives eternal life with that authority. When we get to know Jesus, he imparts eternal life to us in prayer. Now, instantly our minds go, okay, good, he gives us heaven, he gives us life everlasting. And, and yes, Jesus does give access to heaven. You can think of when, when Jesus is on the cross and the robber next to him, and Jesus says to him in Luke 23, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Yes, Jesus has that authority. But John is talking about a different type of eternal life here. He's talking about a difference between the quantity and the number of days, as well as the quality and the type of life that we have, right? Verse 3 said, says, this is eternal life, meaning right here, right now, that you can have, that they know you. Like, do you guys know someone who makes your life better? Hopefully you do. You know someone or you're like, they just make me a better person. That is a small glimpse of what it is to know Jesus, that as you're in relationship with, with him, he makes you better. He, make, he brings you life and joy and peace. That is the picture there, the why we go in prayer to Jesus. But do Christians believe this? I don't think so. Let me ask it this way. If you could have heaven with no sickness, with no, with no death, with all of your friends on earth there, with all the food you ever liked, with all the beautiful um, scenery, everything you could ever want, gold streets paved, if you can have all of that, if you could have heaven without Christ, would you actually enjoy it? That's a tough one, right? I'm getting all the good things, but I'm not getting Christ himself. Like, what if Christ wasn't in heaven? Would that still be heaven to you? I, it's 
is Christ just an afterthought in our prayers? I mean, I joked about the divine vending machine there, but it is, honestly, is Christ just an afterthought in our prayers? Like, basically, it seems like we want the gifts of God, but not God himself. And to, so to the extent that you say, I would be content with a heaven without Christ, is the extent to which you would say that you are not a Christian, that you don't know God, that you don't love God. Like, <laughs> I mean, living forever isn't the ideal. Just living forever isn't the goal right here. Like, think of the worst day in the history of your life. Some of you, that was too recent. The worst day in the history of your life that you've ever had, the day that you felt the most alone, the day that nothing seemed to work, the day that just got frustrated and you went home and you wanted to cry. Like, think of that day, day after day, year after year, forever. That is not a picture of heaven. Just living forever isn't all there is. That's the picture of hell, right? And so that's not what we're talking about here. God promises to give you more than just living forever. He promises to give you himself forever. He gives you a life filled with joy of knowing him. And that's when we come alive. That's when we, we, we say this is life. Like, there's, of course we can't have heaven without God. Like, because heaven is all about knowing God and, and finding joy in that, knowing Jesus. This is why we're told to pray without ceasing, not because it's just a burden that you have to do, because there's a joy in doing so, in talking with God all throughout the day. There's a joy in that. And so, like, why wouldn't we want to pray without ceasing in that sense? Like, this is life. Having access to the well of hope and a reservoir of love that, that never runs out. Like, it, it brings us life. It fuels us. And so, this is why we pray. Because we spend time with our creator, our maker, and our friend. Did you know that the early church didn't actually have to go out and witness and do evangelism? Some of us are like, oh, teach us your ways. <laughs> they didn't. Why? Because when the world saw the early Christians caring for the widows, for the orphans, for the most oppressed, they saw life in them. And they said something's different about them, and they wanted it. And so they didn't have to go out and do evangelism. The world came to the Christians and said, I want that life. It's different. And so are we just existing or are we pictures of eternal life here on earth? Are we just existing or are we actually living, coming alive? If you want that, that you've got to come to the source of that life, to the reservoir of hope. And so there's a big gap between the living and existing. The past few years, many of us have just been existing, and for good reason, right? We just, but I think at some point we start to say, like, I, I want to live, though. I want to come alive. And that only happens when we spend time with our Creator. And so we've talked about what it is, we've talked about why we do it. Now let's talk about how to do it. How do we pray? This is a very simple one. Everyone do this with me. How do we pray? We look up. All right, so everyone go like this. It's a two-step process. You look right here, and you go like this. Everyone go like this. Everyone's eyes up there. See? I know you all do it. Good. <laughs> very simple. However, <laughs> some of y'all didn't put your heads up. And you're like, this is stupid. <laughs> That proves my point. <laughs> it proves my point. So I got you at both levels. Just because I told you to, to pray doesn't mean you will pray. Just because you know how to do it doesn't mean you will do it. You actually have to want to do it. Like, I, 
Yeah, yes, I probably could teach you a few beats on a drum set, but if you didn't really want to become a drummer, you're probably not going to become a drummer. You actually have to want to do that. And which sounds scary because you're like, but I don't want to pray. <laughs> I can't help you with that. Sermon over. <laughs> the worst ending of a sermon. No. <laughs> Here's the good news. Jesus doesn't just save you from hell. He saves you from your lack of desire for him. He saves you from all of those things that you go to that bring death and changes your taste buds to want things that bring life. Like, it doesn't have to be something you have to conjure up. Jesus does that for you. Thank you for the amen. Shock me for a second. <laughs> Only then will you actually enjoy the joys of heaven forever. Some of y'all are thinking, I don't know if I can be in a worship service forever and ever and ever in heaven. That's, <laughs> the Lord changes your taste buds to actually like broccoli, okay? He changes your taste buds to things that bring life, right? And so here's the good news. Jesus is at work, amen? Jesus is at work, and he's been at work for a very long time. Verse 4 says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And so Jesus is so focused through this whole prayer, has been to glorify the Father. Even when he says glorify me, it's the end goal of glorifying the Father, of finishing the work that he came to do. And this work was this rescue plan from eternity past to seek and save the last, the, the least, the, la the lost. He comes after us, and for all of us, we would look at the cross. At that time, they look at the cross from a human point of view, and it is the instrument of shame. But to Jesus, it was the means of true glory, right? The cross was to be seen as a sign of defeat, but in Christ, it was a sign of victory. The hideous profanity of Golgotha is, a, is nothing less than the Son's glorification. And it's in this glory he exercised his authority to bring life, to bring everlasting life. I mean, even while he was up on the cross, seemingly helpless, he was still at work because he clearly wasn't helpless in that moment. He was accomplishing and putting the finishing touches on his plan that he started from eternity past. And it's because of this work that God has bridged this enormous gap that we can have access to the Father, that Jesus in this great high priestly prayer can bring us into the presence of the Father, right? And it's not just that he makes the way open. He doesn't just secure the access. Jesus works so that he becomes sweeter and sweeter to you. The ice starts to melt away. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, We all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. I love that image. That we are constantly being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And how does that happen? It's by beholding Jesus being stripped of his glory that makes us want to give him glory. That as we look at Jesus on the cross and the love of the Father, that actually changes us and in that very moment changes your very taste buds to actually want him more and more and more. And so how do you look up? It's by beholding Christ's love for you. 
How do you look up? It's by beholding Christ's love for you, and it's through the Spirit who now resides in you that does change your very taste buds. And so, now, in my experience, if you're a new believer, prayer is much harder than just reading the Bible. In my experience, new believers are okay with starting to read the Bible. It's prayers where they start to stumble a little bit because it, it, reading comes more naturally. Prayer, though seems to stretch us. And that's why I think Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer to give us a, a framework for that. And so if you are just starting this out, I would encourage you to start there. Read Matthew 6, 9 through 13, but don't just stop there and reading the Lord's Prayer. Personalize it. Make it your own. The goal isn't to just get through prayer, to get through it just like you're taking a vitamin, you just got to just swallow it. The goal isn't that. The goal is to actually spend time with the Lord and have Him work on you, to have, to have the Lord align your will to His, and that's where we find eternal life. Now, so if you're just starting out, I, here's what I recommend. Just give yourself 10 minutes. You're like, I don't know. <laughs> 10 minutes seems like a lot. 10 minutes is not that much. You're like, I don't have time. My mornings are crazy. Okay, still, 10 minutes isn't that long, so wake up 10 minutes earlier than you normally wake up. Wake up early, have that 10 minutes of, of, of prayer, and I think here's something that is helpful for me. If I just pray by myself, internally in my head, sometimes that works. Many times I'm distracted and I think of other things. So sometimes it's helpful to pray out loud or write it out in a prayer journal. Um, here's something that I think is really, really helpful. This, this uh, ACTS acronym here. Again, this isn't gospel. This isn't straight from the Lord. This is just maybe something, something helpful for you. And this adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Um, again, if 10 minutes seems like too long, yes, add some scripture in. But adoration, you, you adore Christ. You, the people that you want to, want to praise, you, you brag on. You tell them how awesome they are. Spend that time adoring Christ, bragging on them their best traits. Then confess the ways that you've become a glory thief. And you've tried to steal God's glory and made it all about you. And then thank God for the gifts that he's given you. And then in supplication, that's where you ask God for the deepest desires of your heart, that God would supply them. So I think this Acts prayer framework has been helpful for me. But if you feel like, yeah, but if I were to pray out loud or if I wrote it down, what if someone finds them? Like, I, I'm kind of embarrassed about my prayers. Do you ever feel like that? You're like, it's, uh, I'm not good at this. I I'm, I'm in the 2% for sure. I'm not good at prayer. And I just want you to hear this. Maybe people would laugh at you like we laugh at the kids' prayers because they're cute or whatever. But God will never laugh at your prayers. God will never laugh at your prayers. And how do I know? It's because of this. God has a tuned ear. Do you know what a tuned ear is? Anyone who, who has successfully put their child to sleep has a tuned ear. And so here's how it happens. Like, let's say you have guests over at your house, and they hear your child murmuring. But you, with your tuned ear, know what those noises mean. They might ask, oh, they must be ready to wake up. And you're like, no, they're just, they're just fidgeting. They're, they'll be okay. Or you hear, their, their, you hear their cries, and you're going, oh, they need, they, they need a bottle. Oh, they need to be put back to sleep. You, parents have this tuned ear who can hear the very... <laughs> complexities and nuances of their child's murmurs. And if that's true for parents with children, how much more true is it for our Heavenly Father who hears our prayers 
And we think these are meager prayers. These are dumb prayers. The Lord hears it, and he hears what you actually believe and want, and he understands it. And so don't say my prayers aren't good enough. Think of the way you love to hear your child's murmurs. You think they're beautiful. That's the way the Lord hears your prayers. Come to me. Pray to me. I want to talk to you. I want to care for you. I want to meet you. That's the love the Lord has for us. So no, don't run in in shame from your prayers. That's the very thing the Lord sees as precious. And so this week, I just encourage you, make time for this important friend, this important other, this, this, this God, creator, but friend who loves you deeply. Make time to live, not just exist. Make time to, to, to come to life and not to see this just as a vitamin to take, but as our very food, because Jesus loves you that deeply. And so I, I, I pray that you will enjoy his presence this week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.